ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Good afternoon. You are listening to the Northern Territory Country Hour. My name is Annie Brown. I'm helping out while Matt Brand is away on a well-deserved break for a little bit. Hope you're well wherever you're listening from today. We've got a short, sharp and beautiful show for you today during the cricket lunch break, the Country Half Hour, I think we're calling it at the moment, because it's a new year and maybe you're after a new job. One of our reporters has been looking into jobs on stations in particular. Firstly, one person who works in contracting cooks who's advocating for employers to look at one group of people, single parents, as there's many out there looking for work. But as you probably can guess, stations generally aren't set up to take on small families. I'm not a parent myself, so but I can emphasise with these ladies that just want to get work. All they want to do is prove to the world that they are still a productive person. And right now, there's lots of stations putting the feelers out there for new staff. You might have seen some of the advertisements on social media. If you are considering a station gap year or, you know, a young person who's thinking about it, it might turn into a bit of a a lifetime career, not just one year. You're going to meet someone today who planned to stay on a station for a year and is now in her third. Like, it's such a lifestyle thing, I guess. And um, sometimes I just don't even think it's a job really like obviously there is times when you know it's tough and everything like that but yeah it's just such a I guess yeah lifestyle change that I've really just enjoyed. All that and a lot more today. But first up, mining billionaires Andrew and Nicola Forrest have increased their stake in Australia's largest cattle company, AACO. The couple's investment company, Tatarang, has been slowly buying into AACO over the last few years, with its shareholding reaching just over 19% yesterday, according to an announcement from the Australian Stock Exchange. Tim Faulkner is from agricultural investment firm Kidder Williams, and he says Tatarang is nearing the takeover threshold of 20%. They've been building their stake gradually over time, and more recently in the last couple of days, they've uh, increased from uh, approximately 18.5% to 19.5%. Um, so they're very close to the 19.9% maximum threshold um, in Australia, where thereafter, that if they are going to continue buying shares, they'll have to either creep, which is a slow acquisition of um, up to 3% every six months, or, or make a takeover offer. Yeah, so how significant is it that the Tatarang is now right on that threshold? Well, I think it's, um, it is it is significant, but I don't want to overplay it because um, he has been building his stake over time, and, and the recent acquisition is only of another 1%, so it's most likely that um, they were approached those that, that line was on the market and, and they decided to, to take it just to continue to build their um, stake in the company, which um, they've made very clear that they see value in as, as part of their strategy of um, building a portfolio of, of large-scale Australian agricultural assets. Yeah, and do you have any more insight into yeah, what exactly Tatarang and the forests see in a company like AACO? Well, obviously it's one of Australia's um, largest agricultural assets. Um, so for somebody like um, Tui who has 
um, a, a strategy of, of building a portfolio in Australian agriculture. Um, it's an obvious one for, for him to invest in. Um, he's got funds that he he's deploying in the sector, and, and this allows him to to do that. Um, more broadly, I think uh, I don't know what their it's particularly what their strategy is, but um, oftentimes. Um, ASX listed agricultural assets um, like AACO, which are an aggregation of a, of a number of um, high quality properties, attract interest from people like Twiggy who think, well, it's trading at a discount to its net tangible asset um, backing. Um, that's because it's an aggregation of, of properties and it's managed by a large corporate, which has a lot of um, corporate overheads attaching to that. Um, and over time, um, as the as the nature of the business progresses and its shareholders and Joe Lewis is there through Tavistock with over fifty one percent, he he may think that um, there is an opportunity that um, you know in the medium to long term future that, um, that that Joe um, may move on and and um, you you may be able to break um, AACO up and and realise that discount um, that that currently applies as a, as a listed company. AAK hasn't paid a dividend to its shareholders for about 15 years or so. Do you think that would be something that would concern the forests? No, I, I don't. I mean, um, the, the fact that Twiggy's in, increasing his um, his stake in the company um, tells me that it tells me that it's not. Um, I, I think he he knows um, agricultural assets very well. Um, these are assets that appreciate over time. It's uh, an investment in land rather than an investment in the, the operating business that's going to pay a dividend. He has a very long time horizon and, and he's got the funds to, to deploy in these types of businesses. At what point, if the investment did increase, would Tatarang be able to put a director on the board? Well, that, that's a, a matter for, for Tatarang and, and AACO. Um, he, he's at a level now where um, there are many companies um, that, uh, that would see that it's appropriate for, the, for them to have a, a director on the board. Um, but that's, that's really a matter between the, the shareholder and, and the rest of the board. Tatarang, of course, recently bought the iconic Australian hat brand, Akubra. Do you think this investment is in line with that uh, their desire to own iconic, iconic Australian brands? Uh, certainly, Dan. I mean, this is one of the most iconic um, Australian companies. It's been around for a very long time. Um, it's an aggregation of, of a number of iconic Australian stations. Um, so, you know, it, it's absolutely consistent with their broader strategy. It's uh, certainly, as I said, it's interesting. Um, you've got uh, Joe Lewis there with a significant shareholding, and he's obviously uh, um, a, a large personality on the, the broader um, international scale. And, and Twiggy and is, uh, is is investing in a number of companies like this now. So um, where it goes, uh, we don't know at the moment, but it'd certainly be interesting to follow. That's Tim Faulkner, director with Kidder Williams, speaking to Dan Fitzgerald there. The Country Hour has contacted Tatarang for comment, but we haven't received a response as yet. And when asking about when asking about investing in AACO last year, Tatarang's chief investment officer did say, Tatarang is committed to investing in Australian businesses and brands that showcase the best of our country to the world and support local jobs. Our investment in AACO is part of this commitment. This is a long-term investment for the Tatarang. We'll bring you more from that story if we do hear back from Tatarang in the coming days. I'm Emily Hoffman, and I love chasing chunky skinks in the top end. And you are listening to The Country Hour. 
Now, are you one of those Territorians that came up here for six months or 12 months and ended up staying for a lot longer? It's a bit of a commonplace story up here. Well, stock worker Marley Blake moved to the Territory for a gap year working at a station on the Queensland Northern Territory border. But three years later, since getting a taste of station life, she's realised she wants to pursue a career in the beef industry. Marley told Victoria Ellis how she started at Tobermory Station three years ago. When I was um, doing Year 12, that was in 2020 in Victoria, um, Ballarat, Victoria, and I... Yeah, it was COVID, so it was lockdown pretty much the whole year. The whole time I was... Um, doing my yeah year 12 course I was just at home like we'd have to zoom in every morning before we started school and talk to everybody on the zoom and then um yeah so that was that was our whole year we didn't really know anything different um even my year 12 exams like three hour English exam and we all had masks on and it was very restricted um So then the following year, I was due to go to uni. I'd gotten into a double degree of criminology and psychology. And, yeah, I got home from work. I was just doing casual work at a pub at that stage, just before I was meant to go to uni. And I just thought, um, yeah, I needed to get out and explore and do something different, um, which I was so glad that I did because, as it happened, um, everybody stayed in lockdown for that next year. So if I had stayed at home, I just would have, yeah, been it doing uni online at home um so then I came up here after I um yeah got home from work that day I got onto Facebook and just applied for a few different jobs and then two weeks later I was um on a plane to Queensland to start a new job. What were your first thoughts when you arrived at the station? Well I actually have like a really vivid memory of getting to Mount Isa and just being like, oh my gosh, it is so hot. Because I've lived in Victoria my whole life and I have um, travelled up here before, but yeah, I just couldn't believe how hot and humid I thought it was. (laughs) Then how did your station work develop to you being there for three years? Um, So I've actually changed roles within um, the station here. So the first year that I came, I was... um, working in the shop that we have here at Tobermory. So it's just like a small shop for people passing through um, fuel and food and coffees and things like that. So that was my job um, in 2021, which I really enjoyed. I love talking to all the tourists that came through. Um, Yeah, it was a really fun year. And then when it started to get towards the end of the year, I um, really wanted to have a crack with the crew and, yeah, go out and experience everything else that was happening on the station. And you obviously loved it. What was What's the best thing about your life and work now? Um, well, sometimes I, like, it's such a lifestyle thing, I guess, and um, sometimes I just don't even think it's a job, really. Like, obviously, there is times when, you know, it's tough and everything like that, but... Yeah, it's just such a, I guess, yeah, lifestyle change that I've really just enjoyed. And it's a lot different from criminology and psychology. Wow. Do you ever see yourself going back to to those sorts of career paths? Um, No, I definitely don't 
like I, it, they're definitely still um, topics that interest me, but I think that I was just going to uni after school because it was what everybody else was doing and, you know, it's what you're meant to do. So I think that, yeah, I just picked a couple of topics that I was interested in and then, yeah, after working for a couple of years, I've kind of completely, yeah, done a 360 on how I view, I guess, the whole uni process. Yeah, and so now you're thinking maybe to have a career in the beef industry maybe? Yeah, I definitely think that um, that is where I'm leaning towards, yeah. Awesome. We hear a lot or I hear a lot in this job, um, a lot of people sort of say, um, you know, kids don't know that jobs in agriculture exist or they don't know what those jobs look like so that how can they aspire to work in that industry if they don't know what it looks like? Is that pretty online with your experience, do you think? Yeah, definitely. And I also think that it's something where if you haven't grown up on a property or you haven't grown up around the industry, it can be harder to get your foot in the door. Um, like, don't get me wrong, There's if you're willing to, you know, crack out and have a, have a go, there's like countless properties that take on um, green people. But yeah, I think it helps if you know somebody who knows someone and yeah, if you've never been around it and you're from a city, I'd yeah, it's definitely harder to get your foot in the door, I would say. Yeah, do you have any ideas of what could help make that process smoother then to help people see what the opportunities are in remote areas? Should there be like, I don't know, more school tours to those sorts of places or should there be exchange programs or is there any ideas that you have that could help solve that problem? Well, I think it's more the fact that it's just an unknown kind of thing for people, especially in Victoria, I would say. Um, it's just unknown. As I was saying earlier, you know, people, my family from home probably didn't really know exactly what was going on up here. So it's not something that's spoken about or we're aware of in a way. Yeah. So more awareness would help people know. Yeah, definitely. That's Tobamori station worker Marley Blake speaking to Victoria Ellis there. And let's stick with jobs on stations now, because if you're looking for a new station cook this year, have you ever considered hiring a single parent? Well, Raquel Humphreys is the owner of Remote Contract Cooks, which helps cattle stations, remote hotels and roadhouses find and keep cooks. And she said, as well as the usual seasoned staff applying for work, there's been interest from 13 single mums and one single dad who are looking to make a lifestyle change and work as remote cooks. So we've got um, ladies that have raised me from having three kids um, down to one lady, she's got a nine-month-old buck. There's been quite a few of them around. You're feeling quite strongly about advocating for those single parents to get work. Can you tell me a bit more about that? I do. I, I, not, I'm not a parent myself, so but I can emphasise with these ladies that just want to get work. All they want to do is prove to the world that they are still a productive person. Um, they've, you know, the ones with older kids, they've, they've raised their kids now and, and they might just have like one or two teenagers still living at home. They need to get away from the city. They, you know, rent prices are high, cost of living is high, and, and stations offer a, a good alternative to that. So they, they come to me and they say, "Look, this is this is my situation. What can we do about it?" And I've got this whole folder of single mothers that 
can't find work because stations aren't either set up for them or station managers are scared of all the OH&S rules these days about kids in the kitchen and minors on stations. What do you mean that stations aren't set up for single parents? Um, accommodation mainly um, because traditionally it's been um, single people, single men and women doing the job. So they might only offer a, an ensuite room attached to the kitchen or um, a donga-style accommodation, which is just single rooms with, a, with their own bathroom sort of set up that's not set up for families or, you know, parents that need a separate room for the child and stuff like that, as well as schooling. Um, you know, they might, they might not have a room set up that they could use as a schoolroom or a gubby that they could share even. Um, a lot of the single mothers are quite willing to homeschool their kids, which is a great option these days. It's just um, having the facilities, the Wi-Fi especially, to be able to do that. But um, now that Starlink's around, I think um, that option is sort of null and void now. So do you think those challenges should stop stations from hiring single parents? No, I don't think so. I think they need to look at look at this, this is the future now like we've got a lot of these people coming into the industry um, and if we want to get quality people into the beef industry in Australia we need to look at modernizing our systems a bit more to accommodate them so when they're and a lot of them are updating their kitchens and their accommodation these days so why can't they when they're looking at the accommodation for the cook just say oh look let's look to the future let's let's just make a new cottage for the cook. Let's make it a two-bedroom cottage so that if we can, if we do decide down the line to get a single parent or a young family, we've got that option. It's not just a single room anymore. And because it's not just single mothers, it's couples as well. So there's just no accommodation. I think if they start looking at um, improving that sort of thing, they'll get better staff members for it. A lot of these single parents, are they willing to move interstate? Yes, a lot of them are more than happy to uproot where they are and move across the country. I think that 100% says that they're quite willing to just jump in and, and, and prove it, that they can do it. You are actually waiving some fees to help try and pair up these single parents with employers. Can you tell me a bit more about that? I am. I usually charge a very small um, booking fee for advertising for a cook, and then I charge another very small fee for actual placement of the cook once that cook starts work. But for this, for my single mothers um, and single dads, I'm foregoing that whole fee process. Um, I mean, uh, I'm not advertising, so I don't see the need to, to charge that. And I've asked people to come to me and say, yes, I'll take, the, I'll take on a person. So I don't expect them to pay when I've asked them to come to me. And I just want to see these people employed. And if I can help an employer get a quality staff member who's going to serve them for years and be the perfect superstar that they need in the kitchen and the garden, then I'm more than happy to, to see them all teamed up. That's owner of Remote Contract Cooks, Raquel Humphreys, speaking to Victoria Ellis there. And if you'd like to get in touch with her, you can do so. Um, you can find Remote Contract Cooks on Facebook. So look it up there. Uh, heading towards the end of the program now, this is going to be one of my favourite stories uh, from the year across ABC Rural. A far north Queensland fruit and vegetable grower has been trialling small critters as a way to keep weeds in check on his property. That's more than just a gimmick. He's made it part of his broader holistic farming philosophy. 
Bridget Herman has the story. They don't sound like your average farm workers, and with their fairy bodies and small stature, they don't look like them either. But the guinea pigs on one Matilda farm are incredibly hard-working labourers. Well, the guinea pigs eat all, all the, the, the weeds and grass and stuff that's encroaching into the syntropic rose. That's John Gargan. Nearly two years ago, he trialled guinea pigs on his biodynamic farm to manage vegetation without any pesticides. It's been a great success. Because they don't burrow, they don't climb, uh, and they eat like you wouldn't believe. So we had grass probably five foot high in amongst our trees, and they've come in and taken it all out. Mr Gargan kept them in specially made runs along the rows of his fruit trees. He built his herd up to 140 guinea pigs. I said, oh, this is great. And then the numbers started to decline. Predatory animals had moved in, making an easy dinner out of the small animals. We actually caught a feral cat with six kittens. She was, must have been feeding them. And, and also a few hawks have found the premises. So, and I'm not sure about whether bandicoots have been getting them, but we've got bandicoots in there and maybe they were taking them too, I don't know. But we were getting no babies for about quite a while. He was left with only 50 guinea pigs. Something had to change. So we've got to do something about this. We'll pull them out, put them in a nursery. A baby boom followed, and Mr Gargan is now well on the way to rebuilding his herd. The challenges won't stop him from putting the animals back into the paddocks, but he's doing it differently now. For a start, the nursery will stay. I'll probably end up only sending the boys back to the field because they they only need a few males and I'll just use the males. But I'll also put in a lot more protection for them, you know, so that they can duck in an irrigation pipe or a a little hotel motel, which I make. I make hotel motels out of um, half a pellet and it's got a roof on it, so they've got three bedrooms and two verandas. So that's their little home and and they can duck in there out of the way of um, hawks and stuff. Okay, over here we've got a, a cover crop that I've planted. The main, it's got a whole. The guinea pigs are part of Mr. Gargan's broader biodynamic farming enterprise, where he grows fruits and vegetables and runs cattle. Biodynamics is a really interesting uh, concept. If, if you realise that everything in the universe is connected, we're actually only part of a whole big picture. And, and what, what biodynamics does is we recognise and harness the energies that come from the cosmos. It's, it's based on organics. It, it does everything organic farming does, but it goes to another level in that you harness those energies. He's been following biodynamic practices for 15 years. He says it's about understanding how different systems and rhythms within the universe can be applied to agriculture. And everybody understands how the sun's important. Some people understand how the moon's important as well. But biodynamics realises that all the planets are, are important. While the guinea pigs are a more recent addition to his biodynamics setup, Mr Gargan says they play an important role. Yes, really amazing what, what they can do. They can transform a jungle into a, a really controlled environment. Yeah, they're just 
great little characters. That's got to be the cutest story on ABC Rural this year. There's Machilba biodynamic farmer John Gargan. He uses guinea pigs to manage weeds on his Queensland property there. And you can read more about that story and see some pretty cute guinea pigs as well, if that's what you like to do, online at ABC uh, at abc.net.au forward slash news forward slash rural. Hi, I'm Nicola Hanran. I live in Darwin and I'm a researcher at CDU. I listen to the Country Hour on my way to work. Now lastly today, before I send you back to the SCG for more cricket coverage, it's time to check in with the weather. Joined this afternoon by our senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, Billy Lynch. Good afternoon, Billy. Uh, Good morning, Annie. Good morning to you. Good afternoon. You're on the Country Hour. Uh, Billy, tell us what's happening outside in the weather today in the Northern Territory. Uh, look, it's uh, quite um, quite cloudy across uh, the southwest of the Territory at the moment uh, and also up in the top end as well. So uh, it's a nice indication that the, the moisture is returning um, and so there is going to be the potential for some some rain, some showers and thunderstorms uh, this afternoon across yeah across the top end um, down down the west. And it's probably just the the southeast corner, so the Simpson and the, the southern Barkley that uh, may not see any rain today. So not much rain, but still incredibly hot outside as well. Yeah, so I mean, this, the rain and the cloud cover is starting to um, cause some relief, uh, some some slight relief from the temperatures. So we're starting to see some of the, the maximum temperatures um, become just a few degrees cooler. But um, yeah, no doubts about it. It's still very hot and humid across the, the territory. Um, uh, so yeah, it's not bringing total relief, uh, and especially across the southeast today. Uh, around Alice Springs and, and Fink and, and that kind of region where we're expecting temperatures of around, you know, 43, even up to 46 degrees at, at Fink today too. So, wow. um, yeah, so very hot in the southeast, um, hot elsewhere and obviously quite humid across the north as well. Um, but the trend, the trend over the next few days is definitely an increase in showers and thunderstorms across uh, well, across southern NT um, over the next few days, and then probably a, a nice pickup in rainfall across the north over the weekend as well. So, um, you know, the, the heat and those heat wave conditions starting to ease off, uh, and yeah, showers and thunderstorms spreading right throughout the territory. Um, probably the most uh, Important thing today um, is just the risk of some severe thunderstorms across the southwest. Um, so, you know, Yalara, Curtin Springs, um, those kind of regions this afternoon may see some thunderstorms that uh, will have the potential to bring some damaging winds, some heavy rainfall, and uh, potentially some hail as well. So, mm. keep your eye out for any thunderstorm warnings that we might issue this afternoon. So, we're still technically in a heat wave, Billy? Is that still. Where we're at? Uh, yeah, look, it's it's breaking down. So some parts of the territory are no longer in a heat wave. Um, but yeah, currently parts of the, the top end, um, so the Tiwi Islands, the Arnhem District and the, the Carpentaria are in a severe heat wave. Um, 
as well as the Simpson District in the southeast. So, uh, especially you know, young people, elderly, those with uh, medical conditions should definitely take precautions. Um, but uh, yeah, as the, the cloud and, and the rain begins to increase over the next few days, those um, heat wave conditions will also ease. So a little bit of rain uh, in the near future for us, but I know everyone asks you this probably every day, um, a monsoon burst, any update on that on when we can expect that? Yeah, look, unfortunately not. Um, we've kind of been yeah, having a window sort of in the, the middle to late January, which is when the Madden-Julian oscillation might pass through our region. So, so there is a, an opportunity for the monsoon to develop then, but uh, at this stage we're not seeing any strong signals. So, um, you know, it's possible that the, the Madden-Julian oscillation may pass us by fairly weak and um, and not deliver a monsoon. So we're just still in a wait and see kind of a period at the moment. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I can't promise the monsoon onset anytime soon. <laughs> we live in hope. Billy, is there anything else we need to know about quickly before the news? Uh, no, not at all. I think we can turn our attention back to the cricket. That's right, the cricket, not the news. That just reminded me. We're all over the place today. Billy Lynch, thank you so much for your time today. No worries. Thanks, honey. That's Billy Lynch from the Bureau of Meteorology, and he's 100% right. We're not going to the news. It's that weird time of year where you're not quite sure what time or what day it is anymore after Christmas and New Year's. But we are heading back to the Sydney Cricket Ground for the cricket. And we'll be back tomorrow on the Country Hour. Until then, have a great rest of your day. See ya.